Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Wenjie Ying, the founder of Local Roots to the Mind Body Green podcast. Wenjie was not always into healthy food. In fact, she did not eat vegetables until she was 22. It took some advice from the lead singer of the psychedelic rock band, The Flaming Lips, and an insider view into the food scene in New York City to recognize the importance of food justice and eating local. She created Local Roots, an alternative CSA model to provide New Yorkers with access to seasonal vegetables with options for home delivery or pickup at a nearby cafe. Wenjie sees food as a connector between people and a community builder and explains how the Local Roots movement supports this vision. If you're interested in getting more local foods into your diet, Wenjie has tips and tricks for getting you there no matter where you live or what your budget. Wenjie, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This place is beautiful. Well, before we get started talking about local roots, I'd love to go back to your roots and talk about how you grew up, how you got started, and did you grow up on this idyllic farm and that's what inspired you to get started in all of this? Um, I did not eat vegetables until I think I was um, 22. I would say I hated eating vegetables. I'm from Long Island, so um, a lot of shopping malls, um, a lot of just hanging out and eating McDonald's. I loved eating Wonder Bread with like jam and all the things that are bad for your gut and all the things that are bad for you. Um, So not a farm. Not a farm. But you know, back then, like no one really knew anything about food and no one knew the long lasting negative effects of eating that kind of food. My mom would try to get me to eat vegetables as a kid and I would put them in my mouth, chew, and then hide them in a napkin and then go to the bathroom and throw them out. (laughs) I I hated tomatoes. And I didn't realize until later when I started my business that I hated the tomatoes because they were just underripe. They had no flavor. They were from the grocery store. And I'd never actually tasted like real food until I started Local Roots. So I have no food background. I kind of learned everything just through experience. But it was an article that inspired you to start thinking about your food initially, right? Can you tell us about that article and what it said? Yeah, um... So a friend of mine sent me an article about how there's a decline in supermarkets in New York City, and many people are buying their groceries from bodegas because it's super convenient. So bodegas in New York are just like a convenience store. And people are going back to those bodegas to get kind of like, just to get medicine to help with any kind of health ailments that occur through eating that, that bad food. And just hearing about this vicious cycle that we're in, that New York is just this world of plentiful options. But the one thing that we don't really have options for in New York is 
good food. And that was really frustrating to me because I, I also just like it really resonates with me just to have like an alternative lifestyle. And the fact that there is no alternative that I knew about at that point, it really, it really bothered me. And I love New York. I love taking care of my fellow neighbors. And I was really inspired to try to start something that uh, would just help them break that cycle. And then you started working at Just Food and Red Jacket Orchards, which I know a lot of New Yorkers might be familiar with as the orchard that's on the bag that their apples might come in, or it's be, it's become very popular. But can you talk a little bit about what those experiences did and how those inspired you um, towards your path? Yeah, so um, the story of me starting doing AmeriCorps at Just Food. So AmeriCorps is like the Peace Corps, but it's in America for one year. Um, I was dancing on stage with the Flaming Lips, which is like a psychedelic rock band. It was like my dream at the (laughs) time. I think I was like 22. And backstage, I'm hanging out with the lead singer, and he's asking me, like, what do you want to do with your life? And I always knew I wanted to do something to benefit the community. I was going to move to New Orleans to help with hurricane relief. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, that's really great. Do you want to do that? But a lot of times people always run to the next natural disaster but sometimes your direct community needs your help also. So it really made me rethink, um, I guess, like my my role in life and like what I wanted to do. So I ended up staying in New York because of what he said mm-hmm. and got introduced to Just Food. And the reason why, honestly, I went there is my friend was like, hey, these girls, they walk around with their shoes off, super laid back. I think you really like them. And I was like, great. It seems like <laughs> an awesome work environment. So I uh, was doing AmeriCorps Just Food. It's the first time I was introduced to local food, local farms, sustainability. Um, and what is Just Food? Tell us about so that. So Just Food is a nonprofit that brings food access to New Yorkers. They do education around food. They support local farmers. They provide resources for people that want to start their own CSAs. And a CSA is it stands for Community Supported Agriculture. It's when people in a community um, make a relationship with a farm, a local farm, and they prepay for a season. And once the season begins, the farm every week is delivering produce straight from the farm to New Yorkers. So it is a really grassroots um, way to create your own food system, essentially. So my position there was actually building resources for people in the community that wanted to start their own CSA market. And I love the fact that if you wanted to start your own food market, you could just do it. I come from a background um, before I was at Just Food. I was just playing a lot of bands. So I was really active in like the DIY, like underground music scene, where it's the same mentality, where if you want to play a show, if you want to go on tour, you just book it yourself. Mm -hmm. So I really love that energy of CSA markets. And I learned so much there. I mean, I fell in love with the way that people are brought together organically, which, you know, drum roll or whatever sound effect you do for that that, that pun right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love the way that these grassroots markets brought people together. And it was such a natural way to meet people. Um, at the time, my parents, my whole family had moved out of New York City. I was readjusting after college, so I was really craving community. And this was the first time that I really felt like I was connecting with people and connecting with my city. Mm-hmm. So I did that at Just Food for one year. And I had a lot of aha moments there where I was like, oh, wow, I really want to do this with my life. Being on a farm and like seeing the background of how food gets to the city is incredible. So let's talk about that for a second. How does food normally get from 
the farm to somebody's plate. What is that? What does that process look like in a traditional model that involves a grocery store? So unfortunately, that whole model is not transparent at all. So it's really hard to really know what's happening. I only know snippets of what's happening because I have friends who have worked at different parts of that that uh, connection. Essentially, most food that you get in the grocery store, if it is from California going to New York, it's usually California or Arizona going to New York. That's about 144 hours of travel time. And usually trucks will stop at different points throughout their commute. It depends on like which grocery store you're talking about. But um, sometimes trucks will stop, you know, midway throughout the country before it gets to New York. So the food is going from the truck to maybe one distribution hub. So it's getting off the truck, it's changing temperatures, going to a walk-in cooler, and it goes back on the truck. So constantly it's fluctuating temperature, which is really important to think about because food is pretty fragile. Think about like flowers, right? If you're changing the temperature and the climate of flowers, they're going to die earlier they're going it's like the quality is going to deteriorate right same thing with food that when it's going between these temperatures and uh, climates it's slowly deteriorating and so it might take 144 hours it's about five or six days of commute and what's happening in that time period is that if you also think about vegetables and produce as plants which they are the second they're harvested from its life source which is the soil it's slowly dying so it's losing its flavor and it's losing its nutrients as it's, it's as it's traveling. And then you think about once it actually gets to your grocery store in New York um, or wherever you are located, once it gets to your grocery store after five days of commute, it's also sitting in a walk-in cooler in the supermarket. And then it's sitting on the shelf for a few days. And then it's, you know, it's, it's being handled by so many people that you have no idea how they are handling the food. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different points of um, handling of the food that you really just can't trust. And then what does it look like in a CSA model? Um, So with CSAs, they're working with local farmers, and most people define local as 250 uh, miles, which is usually two or three hours. Local Roots defines local as two hours from New York City. So it comes like harvested from the farm, and then it gets brought to you. So a little different. It's it's very different, yeah. You can taste it, you can see the difference. And I, I guess Sorry. I can also say like, so yeah, like um, like I mentioned, Local Roots defines local within two hours of New York City, and we even are as local as half a mile. So we're working with Brooklyn Rooftop Farms where literally it's harvested and it travels half a mile because they're located across the street from our office. Um, so it's taking about five minutes from harvest to the drive is five minutes to get to us, which is incredible. So what is it about the CSA model that you were so drawn to? And then what did you think worked really well that you wanted to replicate when you started Local Roots? And what did you think could be a little bit different? So I really, really was drawn to the community part. I really loved meeting all these different kinds of people. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was just one age group. Um, there are people just from different backgrounds that were just connecting over food. And food really connects us with everything, you know, ourselves, our culture, 
um, the land the land around us. And I really just loved hearing these different stories of people's like food memories that just came out at these CSA markets. And I really love this direct connection to these farmers and supporting them, like knowing where my money was going to was really important. And I really just love supporting like they're almost like the underdog, you know, like it's really hard to be a local sustainable farmer in in the world. So I love that I was supporting something that um, was more alternative. And a lot of the farmers that I've met through my time at Just Food and Local Roots and Red Jacket Orchards, like these people are just really, really good people. So it just feels good to be able to kind of create your own little utopia (laughs) based around food. And so, yeah, that's what I loved about the CSA model. I also loved that it was a commitment that you would prepay for your food. That way you were really committing yourself not only to this farm, but also to cooking more and eating local. And that just seemed like a really easy way for me to make a lifestyle change. And I would say that, again, like I love the CSA model. I love that people can just start their own market if they want to. To me, I wanted something that was a little more engaging and more fun. So a lot of the times I would pick up my CSA at like a church and I felt a little awkward just like, you know, having regular conversations in a church, which is why all of our markets are at bars, cafes and offices where it's already integrated into your social life. So um, I wanted something more fun. And also the commitment for a normal CSA is six months. That's a lot of money all at one time. It's also a large time commitment and, you know, we're all getting so busy and I wanted to make something a little more flexible. So our commitments are three months at a time and we also go all year round. So if you don't live in the Northeast, if you live somewhere like California where you don't really have seasons and you get like beautiful produce all the time, (laughs) you don't know the struggles we have in New York, but um, usually CSAs are only for half a year. And then you have to go back to go to the grocery store, right? And that to me feels like a seasonal habit that you have versus we go all year round so that winter and spring we're working with hydroponic, aeroponic farms. We're working with our farmers to grow and store root vegetables so we can have them all year round. So that local food and cooking more at home is actually a lifestyle and not that seasonal habit. So does the food change then? Are you getting really different produce in the winter than you are in the summer? Yeah, so that's a really great point. Everything through the CSA is seasonal, so it's constantly changing. And that's the really beautiful thing about, I would say, the Northeast is that you're constantly changing what you're eating. So um, not only is that great to eat diverse food because of nutrition, but it just makes it really exciting. You know, Mm -hmm. like we can work with our farmers to actually plan out the whole year So we know what we're going to get and we can diversify so that people aren't getting the same food all the time. That's one challenge I've heard with CSAs. Like uh, I get like beets five weeks in a row. There's so many beets we get, but we're very conscious. Or only potatoes after a certain Yeah. And like, so we're really conscious of curating something that one, the food is harvested at its peak flavor and nutrition. But we're also thinking about the size of fridges in New York City, (laughs) how often people go out to eat. We're thinking about, okay, like what are some really interesting varieties that people have never heard of? And how can we make sure that we have as many different kinds of vegetables coming through every single week? So you're never going to get beets five times a week. We're spacing things out so that it doesn't feel like a chore because Mm -hmm. food should never feel like a chore. It should be a fun thing. 
So it sounds like you are doing a lot of things at Local Roots that help solve some of the big problems that people have with CSAs. But I'd love to talk about how you recommend people getting more into a Local Roots mode, even if they're not lucky enough to be able to sign up with you. Um, First of all, starting with community. So I know that you said that it can be awkward when you go to the church basement and you want to form this relationship. And that's part of the reason you did the CSA, but you show up there and you kind of pick up your food and walk out. How do you recommend that people really foster that relationship and try and get a better sense of community and start to understand who their farmers are? I'm a big advocate of being curious just in life and everything. So ask the person next to you, like, hey, what are you going to cook with that Swiss chard? <laughs> right. And I, I just think people are kind of just waiting for someone to talk to them, you know? And I think if you just ask people a question next to you, then they're going to get excited and they're going to want to share something. Um, Chances are they probably did it for a similar reason that you did. Yeah, like, yeah. You you join a CSA, I think, for pretty specific reasons, you know? It's, it's either sustainability, community, or just eating healthier, or I guess saving money because you're cooking. But like, you know, you're in a place where you're very, very like-minded. So chances are you're going to get along with them in some kind, <laughs> some kind of capacity. So I would just say like taking that a little leap of faith and being curious and just asking questions to the person next to you, even if it's like, oh, how do you think you're going to store this? <laughs> but it's really up to you to like, you know, be engaging and be friendly. I would say also um, if you are that person who's more of a community leader, maybe just plan like a, something like a really easy event. Like, hey, let's all just hang out afterwards or let's talk about or let's have a potluck or mm-hmm. yeah I would say being curious is a great way to to start things off and you said that um, one of the things that you love about local roots is that kids will come to pick up and that it seems to me that that's a really nice way to stimulate community too is to bring the family to try and get people involved yeah it's a lot of fun I, we we've had local roots members start off when they're couples and then get married and then have kids Aww. and it's really awesome to see these kids coming to the market picking up the food with their parents it just becomes this like weekly tradition we have one one family who every week uh i think they call it like veggie and doo-doo so like um they get their vegetables as a family and then afterwards they listen to jazz which this little girl calls like doo-doo um and it's really cute but like you know when you're engaging with something when when a kid is picking up like dandelion greens mm-hmm. and they're asking their parents they're asking the little root staff like what's this and we can tell them okay like well now they know a vegetable that most people in this world don't even know about yeah and they're just touching real food they see what it looks like some of these kids think that all food comes from local roots they don't even know there's a world outside of this wow and it's also like you know it's it's kind of building skills too you know because they're weighing out vegetables they're using scales and the parents will ask their kids okay this is half a pound what is that on the scale or like okay we have to grab three of these can you count to three like three (laughs) potatoes so it is it is really fun and it is um that's also a great way just to build the community, you know, like when there's a kid there, it just feels like it adds like a different energy, right? So everyone can kind of be like, oh my God, the kid's so cute <laughs> and talk about how cute the kid is. And then tell us about what you do with when you get that and you're so excited to go and get your pickup and you get it and it's all potatoes and meats or there's just, there's so much of one thing and it's really challenging to try and figure out. It sounds like you guys put a lot of thought into that and try not to let that happen, but it's still very much a reality of working within the CSA system. Mm-hmm. How do you recommend that people handle one of those boxes that just has way more than they could ever want or way, something that they don't even like? 
Yeah, if you do have a CSA or you're in a situation where you're shopping local, which is great, but you are getting an overwhelming amount of one kind of item, I would definitely say, I mean, obviously Googling different kinds of recipes, but that can be really tiresome. So what (laughs) I do is I just prep a lot of the stuff in one way, but I add different kinds of spices or sauces to them throughout the week. So it feels Mm -hmm. really different. Mm Or I do easy preservation. So like I, I honestly, I don't can things. I think it's a long process. And yeah. I also transparently, like, I don't trust my canning skills. <laughs> it does kind of freak me out a little bit. So I freeze everything. Mm-hmm. So even if I have like a lot of beets, right, I will just make a large batch of hummus mm-hmm. and then freeze it or like make dip with the beets and, and freeze it. Or um, you can make like a beet red velvet cake, which is how red mm-hmm. velvet cake was originally made, and then freeze the cake. Is that true? Mm-hmm. That's where the red came from. Yeah, that's where the red came from. And it's actually like, it tastes very good. <laughs> um, and then you're not using any kind of like, uh, you know, red dye. But I would just still say like, you know, like if you have lots of carrots, make a big carrot curry and then freeze it so you can eat it in a month from now when you're not, or like two months, you know. And then I just I just think people forget that vegetables are very, very dynamic and there's very there's many different ways to bring the flavors out, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes from like a a really good local farm because it is super flavorful. Honestly, Instagram is a good way <laughs> of just like typing in a hashtag carrots and just seeing what kind of dishes your eye is attracted to. Mm-hmm. And find an easy way to make that dish. Um, I think is I think is good. You know, you don't have to just eat like roasted potatoes every single day. Um, there's different things you can do with potatoes. And I know that you spend a lot of time with your farmers and talking to them about the way that they're growing things and that they're really passionate about what they're growing. And that's a big part of what they bring to you. Can you talk a little bit about some of the members that the farmers that you work with and how passionate they are about like a carrot and why that why the flavor of it is so different and why it might actually taste very different from something that you would get in a conventional grocery store? Yeah, I would say um, the first time I actually met a farmer, um, it was when I was at Just Food, but that was like my serious aha moment that, holy cow, this is really amazing. Just to see someone who's so passionate about what they do and that they were not motivated by money and they just wanted to feed people really good food was incredible. So um, we work with like incredible, amazing, smart farmers. I don't think people realize how much of a craft and art farming is. It's like, oh, you put the seed in the ground and you let it grow and then you (laughs) harvest it, which is not true at all. You know, like there are different levels of quality for food and our farmers really specialize in soil health, which means that the food will be more nutritious and also more flavorful and finding varieties that are good for their farm based on where their farm is located, the soil content. And our farmers taste test everything in the fields. They would never bring anything that does not taste good to us. And they're picking varieties that like, it might look like a regular carrot, but it's a specific kind of variety that has like maybe more vanilla flavor notes or a little sweeter. I didn't know carrots could be vanilla flavored. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that if once you start, I think, shopping local and if you, that's where the curiosity comes into play. You know, you like taste a carrot and you just get curious, like, okay, what does a carrot really taste like? Let me think about all these different nuances in this carrot 
And then you start asking like, well, how did this farmer grow this carrot? And like, what are they doing to make it taste so good? And how like, it's so different from everything I've ever had. So yeah, I, I love our farmers. Like I will do anything for them. You know, like I'm constantly motivated to keep working just so I can make sure that they can grow food that they're really proud of, of growing. And they're also growing like, you know, our farmer Taproot Farm, George, I love his family and he's growing some really interesting Asian greens for us that like he's taking a chance because they're varieties that might not be very easy to sell at a farmer's market because they're really different. But through Local Roots, he knows like our members really like exciting different kinds of greens. Mm-hmm. And we also do a lot of work behind like recipes and educating people how to use these things so i love that he gets so excited about growing something new and that he can trust us that he can grow something new and that we will buy it from him and we will put it to good use um so i really love that like trusting relationship we have with our farmers and that we can we can push food um and cooking a little further because we're all excited to be trying new things you mentioned farmers markets. Let's go back to that for a moment because I know that you spent some time working at the Union Square Farmers Market, which is probably the biggest farmers market in New York. Um, definitely very, very well attended. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like behind the scenes working there? Yeah, you have to. Um, being awake at certain hours in New York is a really funny thing, <laughs> um, especially on like the weekend. <laughs> so um, it's amazing how quiet the city gets. It's very quiet, and there's always, but there's always like s- those drunk people that are just going home when you're like <laughs> setting up a market. So I feel like I, I've worked at Union Square for an orchard and also a bakery. So you usually get there for the orchard. We would get there like first because it takes a long to set up. So like probably five in the morning. And then it's a lot of physical work. You know, you're like setting up these tents and these tables and carrying like 40 pound crates of fruit and making it look nice. And then, you know, in the summertime, I remember working at the farmer's market, like the hottest summer and like it's like a more than 100 degree weather, but you have to be standing up and working for, I would say, like 5 a.m. to like um, maybe like 4 p.m. And That's a long day. It's a long day. And Union Square, uh, if people don't know Union Square, it is in Manhattan. And it's like, it's also, it's a hybrid of like locals, but also tourists. So there's always characters, you know, so you're always kind of engaging with all all walks of life. Yeah, it's it's really fun because there's there's so much excitement at that market because it's so big. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is funny when you're, it's, when it's like 5 a.m. and there's people like just leaving the club. <laughs> and you're like, hey, you want some apples? <laughs> and is that a good model for um, farmers to sell their uh, their produce and everything that they're making? Is that is that a good spot for them to go? And what are the positive things? What are the drawbacks of the farmer's market? Yeah, I think there's pros and cons for all kinds of ways to sell food, which is why most farmers are really diverse in how they sell their products. So at the farmer's market, the pro is that you're engaging with your customers, especially somewhere like Union Square. Like, there's such a big built-in audience that you can really make a lot of money. And I guess even with, like, most farmer's markets is there's a lot of work into, like, making sure there's going to be foot traffic there. And it's a really great way, you know, like, chefs usually pick up a farmer's market so you can, like, work with wholesale accounts, with restaurants. I would say the con of farmer's markets, especially firsthand of me, like, working at them, is that it's a lot of work. You know, driving to the city, having staff set up the market, 
And if it's rainy, then people don't show and then they don't buy things and you go home with all this produce. It's like, it's not a guaranteed sale, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would say with something with subscription-based, like a CSA, the pros would be you like you have a commitment from customers to buy food from you every week for X amount of time. So you have that security and you can still have a direct community relationship with your customers. I guess the con with that would be <laughs> maybe just for the customer that like it's a different way of shopping. So it's it, it might be a little confusing for people. Um, so it might be harder to like, get the subscribers for CSA. Yeah, and let's talk about that for a second. So certainly it's a very different model to to plan your week of groceries when you're planning them with a CSA. And I think people are very used to writing out their grocery list and saying, I know that I want eggs and milk and I want four tomatoes and and they know exactly what they want and they might look at the recipe and order food or buy food and that's the way that we've done it. Um, certainly with a CSA, it's a different model. So how do you tackle that from uh, planning your meals, figuring out where you're going to eat. Do you go and pick up your CSA and then come home and then do that work and supplement whatever else you need to create your meals? Or do you decide that I'm going to make a vegetable stir fry and I'll just put in there whatever um, whatever comes in my CSA? Or what are the right ways to kind of think about planning, especially when you're planning for a week or when you're not just um, trying to figure out what you're going to have for dinner that night, but you're actually trying to think down the road a little bit? I, I don't think there's any right or wrong way. Um, that's why I love cooking is that there's so much fluidity in what you can do. It's really based on your personality. So mm-hmm. I am the kind of person who I cannot follow a recipe. I'm also the kind of person who I don't like someone telling me what to do <laughs> or like, you know, no, you can't do that. I guess hence why I own my own business. Also, I cook so often that for me, it's just about, you know, impromptu cooking. So I look at what I have, look at what's in the fridge, and I just will make whatever I'm feeling. I literally will have this moment where I close my eyes and like think, okay, like what kinds of flavors do I want? What kind of texture mm-hmm. do I want? What kind of feeling do I have right now? And I'll cook something based on that. I know not, not everyone does that, um, but I will cook in really big batches. I will, I'm totally happy eating the same thing for most meals, like for a couple of days straight. And that's just because if if I want to cook something, it, it, to me, it tastes good. So I get excited. Like, I get to eat this tomorrow again also. <laughs> and if I do feel like I need a little variety, I might change up like, okay, like I'm going to top this curry with like microgreens so it's peppery. And the next day I'm going to like add like, um, I'll bring some bread so it's more like a sandwich. And or like, oh, I want to bring like hot sauce in this, so it's spicier today. So there's like different ways to tweak your dishes, even if you're cooking in bulk to make it feel exciting. Or I'll like roast a whole bunch of veggies all at once and use them in different ways throughout the week. Or like, hey, make a big batch of grains. And then you can make like those grain bowls that everyone loves to post on Instagram. <laughs> That's a super easy way, right? Just like prep all those things ahead of time. But I know, you know, some people also are really good at like, they want to know from us. Like we tell our customers every Friday what they're getting the next week. And a lot of people love that. They've told me because like, okay, great. I know what I have now. I'm going to find five different recipes to cook throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And they, they really have have more structure with the way they cook. But it's interesting because I think people, um, it's really based on your perspective, how you want to look at it. Because our customers find the model of a CSA that we're of, if we're, te- like, we're telling them what to do, we're curating what they're eating, 
our customers love that because they don't have to think about it. It's like there's so much decision fatigue out there that all they have to do is bring a bag, show up at the market, they do their grocery shopping, they pick up their food in under a minute, and then they can leave. If they want to hang out, then they hang out for longer, but like that's the whole process. Mm-hmm. And then they spend whatever time they want cooking and meal prepping. Whereas like grocery shopping at the grocery store is okay, you're sitting down like, what should I buy this week? And like, oh, I'm going to buy the same. You always buy the same thing if you go to the grocery store. I want to buy like spinach and broccoli. And then you have to find the product. It doesn't it's like sort through it, mm-hmm. to wait in line. You know, like they're just, to me, more challenges going to the grocery store. Um, like again, like it's, it's all about how you want to change the way you view it of like mm-hmm. someone who's an expert is picking exactly what I should be eating. And <laughs> the only work I have to do is just to cook it. To me, that feels easier. So even if you're not ready to join a CSA, if you don't have one locally that you know about yet, what are three things that you would recommend that everybody do to get more involved with their local food scene, to understand a little bit better about where their food comes from? I think that's a really great question because I think people are challenged by eating local because it feels like such a big step. But there's so many small things we can do to kind of get your way to that path. So even if you're shopping at the grocery store, that's totally fine. Um, like I mentioned, just be curious. So I would always opt for, you know, if you have an, a local section in your grocery store to do that uh, and also to look at organic labels, but make sure it says like USDA organic. Um, and then that's like one step, right, is just to be mindful of the kinds of foods that you want and the way that the food was grown. I think people always wonder local or organic. And if you see a local apple and you say an organic apple, which one should you choose? What is your opinion on that? I would go local. And I'd say that because it's traveling for less time, it is going to be more nutritious and more flavorful. And hopefully if it's local, if you want to do the research, you can look up more information about this farm and ask them questions. Whereas if it's just organic from a really big farm, like you don't really know how they're you can be organic and it doesn't mean that they're treating their staff well they don't have good work environments you know like a lot of organic farms that like say like lettuce they actually kind of like aggregate different farms lettuce together but it just reduces the quality of it so for me i would always offer for local versus organic and also just realize that labels aren't always what they seem right so eggs for example everyone most people eat eggs if you're at the grocery store, I would say look for the pasture-raised eggs. And I say that because people think cage-free, free-range. Mm-hmm. That means that these hens can run around wild, which is not true. There's actually no guidelines for those words. So on average, cage-free is actually one square foot for the hen. That's, you know, imagine like your body, maybe like your your diameter or something. It's not a lot of room. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's important, even if you're not into animal welfare, is that if the hen is not running around, it's not foraging, it has a stressful life, the eggs that it's making are actually not as nutritious and they're not gonna taste as good. Mm-hmm. So even though pasture raised also doesn't have anyone, you know, like making sure that those guidelines are met, theoretically it should mean that these hens actually can run around on pastures so they're foraging mm-hmm. and always, you know, go to the farmer's market and just try to get those pasture raised eggs. They're just gonna taste a lot better. And yeah, I guess the last thing would just be like progress and not perfection and that it's just a fun thing, you know, like go to the farmer's market and get, um, just get familiarized with what 
food tastes like that isn't covered in wax or you know like in the grocery store like realize like oh there's actually a difference in the food that I can be eating and then like that's one step and then you go the next step okay so like what kind of food do I want what kind of questions can I ask this farmer and then you can just keep going on from there but just just to see also like what actually comes in season and the farmer's market, if you don't have a CSA, the farmer's market's a really great way to see that because it's right out in the open. You know, and then you realize, okay, like I shouldn't be eating some foods all year round because they're not in season. Um, and I think that's like a really great way to learn more about food without having to like dive deep on the internet and like scour on your iPhone and just like go out there and experience it. So you talked earlier about how your growing up years and the way that you're eating did not include many vegetables, and obviously that has changed significantly. How has your food journey evolved, and what is your relationship now with food and with vegetables and with eating, and how is that different from it was from the way it was growing up? Oh my God, I can't even believe the things I ate growing up um, and how it's so different now. And the thing is, I never told myself, like, I'm going to eat more vegetables and I'm going to cook more. It kind of just happened which is why I think I can do it so often because it's someone wasn't telling me I should be doing this. The food we have, honestly, it just tastes so good that it's easy to eat it and it's really, really enjoyable. You know, like I, I'm, I eat a lot of vegetables. I definitely eat meat. But to me, I've just, I've definitely... What's your favorite vegetable dish? Oh, I really like curries. Um, I just like things where there's a lot of flavors and I like that kind of texture of curries. But yeah, I think I just naturally kind of like let go of my need to eat meat um, all the time just because vegetables are just as exciting and I think even, even more exciting and it just makes you feel different. And I've also just, I really love cooking childhood dishes that my parents would make. Um, with our local ingredients, mm. you know, because there are some things that um, you can't really get even I'm Chinese. So even if you go to like a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown, it's hard to find these dishes because they're kind of like home style dishes or it's something that like my grandmother cooked and taught my mom that you can only find in like the small town in China. Right. So to be able to recreate those dishes with ingredients like I, I know and that like I that I, I love the farmers <clears throat> also is really incredible because it just adds another layer of love to it. And so like now I'm kind of like teaching my parents like about like some ingredients and um, that's that's also really exciting to be able to talk about the work I do um, with my parents through food stories. And I get to hear a lot about their childhood growing up through their own food stories too. And so, like I mentioned before, I'm excited that, like, our farmers are growing these Asian greens because they're vegetables that I grew up, like, pretending to eat, but now I get to eat them for how they truly should taste. So I'm excited to be sharing that also, like, that culinary culture with other people, too. That's really neat. I like the idea of taking an oral history through food with your own family and actually asking them their question, asking them about what they ate and what kinds of ingredients that they loved and what kinds of dishes they loved. Yeah, like my parents, um, they they really just don't talk about their, their past. I think that they just don't think it's interesting. So the only way I can get them to talk about growing up, um, like, is, is really through food. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's just a really beautiful thing because also, like, if you are recreating that dish, it kind of feels like you're transporting yourself to that memory 
and you can kind of be a part of it, which is why I really love food. Adding yet another layer of love. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So when you first started Local Roots, you didn't really have previous business experience. You had a lot of passion. You had a lot of energy. And now you're celebrating your eight years next week. Is that right? Um, The Saturday. Exciting. Congratulations. Um, So tell us a little bit about growing the business and deciding to start something that you really didn't have experience in, but had a lot of passion for, and then how that's evolved over the last eight years. I would say that I still feel like I have no business skills, but a lot of passion. And I, the reason why I think that's important is that I think many people who have businesses think that they should be doing some things or they should, they need to have some kind of business background or there's a lot of shoulds, I think, when you own a business. But most of us, are, most of us are just figuring it out as we go along, you know? So there's really no right or wrong and you never should be in a certain place in your company. It's really depending on like the flow of, of, of what you want and what feels good to you. So I actually completely forgot what your question was, but I thought that was important to say because I think like I myself compare myself a lot to other people who've been around for X amount of time, you know, and I think, oh my God, should I have that many followers on Instagram? And like, should I be doing this and that? Like, why aren't I, like, why was that not happening to me? But every company is so different and everyone has different skills, you know, people are attracted to our company because of the passion. Mm-hmm. And so they are naturally telling other people about it. And that's almost a business skill, right? Like we've just naturally unintentionally created a word of mouth marketing plan. And I have no idea how to do marketing, <laughs> but the but passion. Maybe you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like, that's true. Maybe I'm like a business prodigy. I have no idea. <laughs> Wish that was true. I'm um, sorry. What was your question? <laughs> Um, I think I think that you answered it really, you know, how um, how the business has grown and how you've just added to it. And it sounds like very organically and continuing on that model of passion. Where do you see Local Roots going? What does the next Ooh, five years look like? That's such an exciting question because I've known from day two what I want in Local Roots to be. And I've just like been nourishing and cultivating our company in a way to make this happen. So... Um, it's kind of connected to your first question, but everything we've done, the the growth and the the journey of local roots has always been based around our values. That's how I make almost all of our decisions. So it's not really based on like business. You know, obviously there is a thought of like, okay, we have to be profitable so that we can support our farmers and support our staff. But it really is about like, how to create a business that's authentic and people trust that is building community, providing these high quality products, representing sustainability and creating a stronger and healthier food system. That's like all of our decisions are based around that. And from day two, I've always known that I want to make like a social club around food (laughs) You know, like a physical place where people can come and actually see the farmers come drop off the food and just see how we're packing, you know, like how we pack our boxes for deliveries. But then also to be going to cooking workshops and lectures and to really get the real information out there. That's why I love talking about food is that there's so much miseducation around food out there. All of it's almost marketing hype, you know, like it's just like any other industry, any other kind of product is that there's a company creating a product and they're marketing it to make you think you want it or need it. But that those are all lies, you know? 
And so it's important to me to create a space where people can really get the information that they really need and really want. Because if people don't know, then they don't know that they need to make a different decision. But I don't usually try to put fear in people's minds. But I, I think maybe the older I get, the more I realize how how important this is because you know you have to like focus on your health more and then you realize the health of our earth is really um it's getting a little scary that if we can be more conscious and if we, if we can ask more questions about food it's easier to make the decisions that will be better for ourselves and also for the people around us and also for like the land around us we talked about soil and we talked about sustainability a bit. And one thing that you mentioned was hydroponics and different ways of growing food through the whole calendar year. I'm curious about how you think that that is part of the solution. It's a very good question. It's a very racy question. Also, side note, people that can't see this, I am just gracefully. <laughs> I brought these heirloom tomatoes <laughs> that are on the table. and I'm just kind of playing around with this tomato. <laughs> I'm also about you're, eye, you're very connected. I'm to your also food. I'm also about eye contact when I'm talking about these things because I am someone who needs to like look out into space and, and think and talk. So I'm sorry <laughs> I'm not like totally engaged with with looking at you. Um, you're engaged with the tomato though. It's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, also just a side note with growing. Um, it's really okay. So also the reason why community is super important to us is that local roots is really a movement. I don't view it as a small business. It is a movement. And we need our community to be part of that in order to grow and push the movement forward. Mm -hmm. We're a super small staff. I don't have any dream of having a massive staff. Um, I imagine that our community, they're going to be the ones to grow local roots. You know, so right now, like, it's really wonderful. We have other businesses and other people in the community that are starting local roots markets. We're kind of giving the skill set to start their own market. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is really because I'm very aware that food and growing a community around food is different with every neighborhood you're in. You know, even from one neighborhood to the next in New York City, and especially between like New York and Philly or New York and Chicago, like you need to really know the people and um, what that community needs to, to really create something authentic, which is why I really trust for other people to grow it for us because we can't be everywhere and we can't know everyone and everything. Mm -hmm. And with hydroponics and aeroponics, the reason why I think it's a really racy topic is that um, so often the conversation is kind of like a us versus them conversation Mm -hmm. from what I've, from what I've been part of. Us versus them, meaning the farmers digging in dirt and the farmers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like soil country farms versus this futuristic hydroponic system. Mm -hmm. The reason why I engage with hydroponic and aeroponic farms is that it's a great way to have local and fresh produce all year round. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's enough science to really make the claims that sometimes they they make about like how much water they're saving or nutrition. Like I don't I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but I do know that I'm a huge advocate of soil health and regenerative agriculture. And that happens in the soil. Mm-hmm. I also think there's something beautiful with someone really digging their hands and paying close attention to what they're growing versus having um, a more robotic system growing their food. 
But I also think I can also see the benefits. I'm a Libra, so like I can see like pros and cons <laughs> of everything. Is that hydroponic systems also are like super efficient, right? So like they can grow food in a way that like might need less labor and is probably easier on the the person's body. Like farming is super labor intensive, right? Mm-hmm. There's like kind of you really if once you're taking care of your body really well, like it's hard to grow food like into your late you know whatever age because you're constantly bending over and everything's really heavy. Um, so I do think there's a really good place for hydroponic and aeroponic farms. I think that people need to realize, though, the customers should realize that there there is a difference. There's a flavor difference um, and there is a philosophy difference, but we need both of them in a place like the Northeast that has different seasons so that we can be eating local all year round and also eating fresh greens all year round. So I have some final questions for you. Mm -hmm. What keeps you up at night? Oh, man. Um, Well, on the silly side, like Instagram comparing your life to other people are like, oh, man. (laughs) But but really, um, I would say what keeps you up at night is just feeling like I'm not doing enough yet. You know, like I want to be doing so much more quicker, but I haven't – I don't think – it's possible. I mean, I think it's possible, but I'm trying to find a good way to do that so that's still authentic and is of high quality. Um, yeah, I just want to be helping people and doing more justice for food in a quicker time. And what gets you out of bed in the morning? My work. I really love what I do, and it's really exciting to me. Um, yeah, I'd say that's a big motivator. What advice would you give your like 20-year-old self? The advice I would give my 20-year-old self would be to be more patient and trust that you're going to build something beautiful in the future. And it is more beautiful when you can bring more people on to help you and to really value like your time and your services um when you're communicating um your work to people or like you know marketing your work to people um oh actually i think this is important is that i would definitely tell my 20 year old self and it's what i tell myself now is that it doesn't get easier when you own a business i think it only gets harder and what you have to really do is just change your mindset and your relationship to your work that even you can be so passionate about your work and love it so much, but it should never be the only thing in your life. And not to take it so seriously, you know, like you create your own kinds of stress and you create your own kinds of like anxiety. So you can either embrace everything you do and embrace the challenges and love it, or you can freak out about it. So it's kind of up to what you want to do. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. This is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.